This program is made possible by the support of the listeners. To see what you can do, check out the support box at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, It's All Politics, The Colbert Report, The Young Turks, The Bugle, On the Media, The Daily Show, and Le Show, with a bonus video clip for our iPhone app users from The Daily Show. Carl, what does the first malefactor have to write a hundred times on the blackboard? I will never again in any way disparage my civilian superiors, <laughs> including Vice President Bite Me. Oh, darn it, I did it again. <laughs> that was somebody who lost his job because he and his aides said unpleasant things about the vice president and other civilian officials. Who was it? That's got to be Blabbermouth Stanley McChrystal. That's true. <laughs> As a four-star general, there were only about three people in the world who could fire him, and he talked smack about all of them. <laughs> he and his staff were probably just one Bud Light Lime away from dissing Sasha and Malia Obama. <laughs> the worst offense of uh, General McChrystal and his staff was their disparaging remarks about Vice President Biden, who they referred to as Vice President Bite Me. But if making fun of Biden is now a firing offense, our unemployment rate is going to shoot up to 90%. Is Bite Me the best they could have done? Honestly. Well, come on. He does have a, quite a set of choppers on him, though. Does, well, then Biden, maybe. Yeah. Biden, yeah. B-I-T-I-N. I'll take that. Over. That was the Bud Light Lime talking, I'm afraid. Yeah. Biden is time there. Biden. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen him in a while. He's Vice President Hyden. You know, it seems like he could do better than bite me. Adam, how'd your comedy night with 101st Airborne go? I didn't mean to ask him. No, they love me. I bet. Yeah. General David Petraeus, as I'm sure you know, was appointed to take over the command in Afghanistan. It's a really good thing he did. Not only is he really the one person capable of the job, but if he had said no, Obama would have had to then choose from Joe Biden's list of suggestions for the job, which was Sergeant Pepper, Colonel Sanders, and General Electric. The real news, of course, is President Truman finally firing Douglas MacArthur. No, no, I actually think it was more important that President Lincoln fired General McClellan. As old as we are, we actually don't remember either the Civil War or the Korean War, do we? Um, I don't remember last week's podcast. (laughs) But the first thing I thought of with this drama leading up to the Wednesday sacking of General uh, McChrystal is Truman MacArthur and the insubordination and the guidelines of civilian control of the military. That's right. But let's let's also put a little distance between the MacArthur-Truman comparison and the current case, because in that case, Douglas MacArthur really was trying to change American foreign policy and take it in a totally different direction, have Chiang Kai-shek invade China from Formosa himself go across the Yalu River with uh, American forces and not South Korean but you know forces. Why, but you he know, wanted to start a war with China. But you know why MacArthur supported Chiang Kai-shek doing that? It's because he had a Taipei personality. 
And wait, that's a great joke. That's really not a great joke. <laughs> but let's but let's just say that in this case, all we really have is the insubordination of a general speaking in extremely, shall we say, ill-advised fashion, and letting his staff speak in extremely ill-advised fashion to a journalist from Rolling Stone. Which, by the way, a lot of people had forgotten there was a Rolling <laughs> yeah, Stone. That's right. Uh, but back at one time, that's where Hunter Thompson wrote seminal works on uh, the American presidential election process, and Bill Greider was their political editor for seven. Years, famous American journalist, and now suddenly Rolling Stone publishing stuff that changes history. If General Stanley McChrystal is as smart as everybody says he is, and military men have been saying from the beginning this guy is a brilliant guy, how could somebody be so dumb and throw it all away like that? I can answer that question, Ken. It's very simple. Four and seven. The man sleeps four hours a night and runs seven or eight miles a day. Now, my law is. No more miles run than hours slept. That's pretty much been your rule, has it not? No, yours is no more meals eaten than hours slept. No, mine is no more Garcia Para. All right. Now, I think we are finally going to get the strategy right in Afghanistan. We're going to sleep eight hours and only run four or five miles. And I think General Petraeus, as the man who, how many people have said it, literally wrote the book on counterinsurgency as a strategy, is somebody who has the credibility of authorship. He has the credibility of authority over this policy, even more than McChrystal did. And he has the backing of clearly both parties in the United States Congress. The Senate is going to confirm him in 15 minutes. And he can, if anyone can, make a respectable showing with this policy in Afghanistan over the next year or two. Well, see, that, here's the part that, that troubles me about this whole analysis here. And this, first of all, one, Petraeus backed McChrystal to the hilt. He was, he and, uh, Secretary Gates were his, his biggest boosters. Two, President Obama said over and over again that there was no policy change. The policy is not working. No, the policy is not, problem, the is not coming problem. in to change the policy. That's right. The underlying problem here is not that McChrystal is insubordinate or that uh, he's a poor handler of his staff. Well, he is, and that's why he had to go, but that's not the big issue. But here. the real problem is that the underlying sense of what's happening in Afghanistan is not success. Right. They haven't really felt that they've been successful in what they've tried to do up to now. And Karzai is so unreliable. And, the, and it's been said from the beginning, you've got to have a reliable partner in order to make this whole strategy work. And clearly, Karzai becomes less so with every passing month. At this point, I think it's not hard to imagine that if we were to pull out in 2011 as scheduled or 2012 even, basically he'd turn the country over to the Taliban and strike some kind of a deal with them. That looks like where he's headed. Which just sounds like what he's doing now. And, and interesting that the, one of the biggest boosters of McChrystal was President Karzai. Now he's gone, so we're going to have perhaps a somewhat more antagonistic relationship between the American leader and Karzai. But that doesn't seem to be necessarily a bad thing from an American perspective. And I'm going to throw out the radical concept that maybe what this does is either Either, as some have said, buy a little bit of time for Obama for this policy to work over a slightly longer period of time than he gave himself, or possibly turn enough people against the Karzai regime that we make the decision that needs to be made at some point or another from a lot of people's perspective, which is turn mother's picture to the wall, realize that this is not 2001, and pull out. But that pullout decision is being made as 30,000 more troops are on their way to Afghanistan and President Obama asking allies for more and more contributions. Which they are, of course, not going to make. This, that's just simply not going to happen. So between the fact that the allies are bailing on us, that we have no one to ally with in the country, and the fact that the American people increasingly reject the whole rationale and justification for continuing this mission, I think this is a war that's going to wind down and be ended by us. One of the big criticisms, of course, of President Obama has been that that he just is unable to make a decision. He 
waited a long, long time to step forward in the health care bill. His, his role in the BP disaster is obviously not too going passive, well. Too passive, too long. And yet here is an example of him showing very immediate leadership. Apparently when he read about the article Monday, he decided perhaps Tuesday night that McChrystal was gone, and Crystal indeed was gone by Wednesday afternoon. And he seemed to have more support in a bipartisan sense on this. He immediately was backed by McCain and Lindsey Graham and even the third party in the Senate, Joe Lieberman, and lots of people just came out and said this was the thing the president ought to do. Of course, there were others who said, no, McChrystal shouldn't have been fired over this, and it really isn't a firing offense. But the mainstream of opinion, at least within the authority structure, both the Republican side of it, the more conservative side of it, and the Democratic, more liberal side of it was the president did what he needed to do. Well, I think that aura of the president getting high marks for a quick, forceful decision may not last long if we, again, sit back and say, okay, now what's this policy that we're defending? What policy isn't changing, and where do we go from there? Because if if ultimately all we're doing is changing McChrystal for Petraeus, then I don't know what changes ultimately. Probably not Afghanistan. We never changed, we We never learned, we It is a sad day for our nation, nation. Because a true American hero, Afghanistan commander, General Stanley McChrystal, is being hung out to dry. Just because of a few frank remarks he made about the Obama administration. It's all out in the upcoming issue of Rolling Stone magazine. Now, I'm a big fan of the Rolling Stone. It has been an American cultural institution ever since they started putting me on the cover. Four years of excellence. Keep it up, guys. Now, this McChrystal issue is not available until Friday. Oh, wait, I have a copy now. I want a Grammy. But it's what's printed inside that's getting McChrystal's stones rolled. Jim? The man in charge of U.S. troops in Afghanistan has some tough things to say about people in the Obama administration. McChrystal thought Obama looked, quote, uncomfortable and intimidated by the roomful of military brass. McChrystal describes envoy Richard Holbrook as a wounded animal afraid of being fired and jokes about Vice President Biden saying, quote, who's that? Did you say bite me? Hey. I say you gotta listen to your commanders on the ground. If McChrystal says bite me, maybe Biden should bite him. (laughs) Someplace tender, let's win this thing. Point (laughs) Gotta want it. The point is, President Obama, you don't question your generals. But I guess you think you know better because you just pulled McChrystal out of Afghanistan so you could chew him out in the Oval Office. Well, let me remind you, sir, you may be the commander-in-chief in in a time of war, but Stanley McChrystal's in Rolling Stone. (laughs) That means he's a rock star. 
Think about it. Led Zeppelin may have trashed hotel rooms, but have you seen Afghanistan? <laughs> I, for one, I, for one, hate to think what McChrystal could do with a dead shark. Now, thank you. Now, I'm a longtime fan of McChrystal's methods. We fans like to be called McChrystal Methods. And I've got, uh, I've got all of his early stuff on bootleg. Ooh, this is a great one. This is him publicly ridiculing Vice President Biden's plan to reduce troop levels in Afghanistan as short-sighted. Oh man, this is a great cover album of his cover-up of the Pat Tillman tragedy. Let's see, live in Kandahar. Oh, check it. Leaking a classified report to force the president to make up his mind faster. Plus, talk about the rock and roll lifestyle. McChrystal's clearly been hitting that sweet Afghani heroin. Because you would have to be higher than Keith Richards to criticize your commander in chief in time of war in front of a reporter from Rolling Stone. You can now support this podcast as easily as by shopping online. The next time you need to make a purchase of just about anything, simply visit bestoftheleft.com and use our amazon.com search box to find what you're looking for. The search box is located right on the side of the website. You can't miss it. When you make your purchase, we get a little commission. It's just another effortless, completely free way for you to help keep the show going strong. Thanks for your support. Now this morning, after McChrystal gets fired, Fox News begins in earnest, delivering the talking point. Here we go, as the world turns, as Fox News turns, clip number seven. But I think the loss of McChrystal is huge, and it's not to be, uh, to, to be overstated here. I really think that McChrystal should not have been relieved by this. And actually, you know what, Megan? This is a blown opportunity for President Obama. Of course. Because he, he's been criticized for uh, not getting angry over the BP oil mm -hmm. uh, spill in the, Persian, in the uh, uh, Gulf of Mexico. Yet this was an opportunity for President Obama to show us that cool dispassionate, unemotional side of him. And now he's coming out and it, it's going to look like, I don't care how calm he is in a couple of minutes, it's going to look like he's reacting out of anger and out of a thin well, skin. Well, press secretary came out yesterday and said he was very angry. <laughs> Alright, so here we go. He's thin-skinned, he's just firing him because he got offended, and uh, what else can we throw at him? Oh, you know what? Before, he wasn't angry enough. We ran those clips. Fox News said, oh, Obama's not angry enough. He's not emotional. He's got... Now, he's too angry. Well, of course he is. See, if he eats his hamburger with mustard, that's un-American. If he eats it with ketchup, he's just trying to be a politician who's trying to appeal to everybody in America. Okay, you can't win. If he goes in a silly outfit to the Gulf Coast, they say, oh, look at that for a photo op. He's wearing the silly outfit. If he goes in a normal outfit, oh, look at Mr. Fancy Pants. Right, right, right. No, Fox does news. By the way, that was a news section there. Megyn Kelly's a news anchor. <laughs> so here it comes. Here it comes. It's just the beginning. Just the beginning. Wait till they resuscitate General McChrystal, 
and paint him out to be a hero. But I can't do this all on my own. No, I know I'm no Superman. Just plugged into the wall And that deck of tarot cards Won't get you very far There ain't no hand to break your fall Top story this week McChrystal's Balls <laughs> Nice and, one, nice and, one John You're welcome You must and, be very pleased with that Andy, I think I think everyone has their own fantasy of how they'd like to leave their job. Yeah. Maybe you want to go out dousing everything in your office in gasoline before walking out of the door, flicking a lit match over your shoulder and never looking back. <laughs> or maybe you prefer to go up to your supervisor with your index finger pointed down and saying, can you hear this, sir? What if I turn it up a bit? Then laughing before saying, seriously, I do quit. <laughs> or maybe you'd like to do what will now forever be known as pulling him a crystal, and give an inexplicably detailed interview to Rolling Stone magazine where you basically call your boss an asshole. It really was an amazing sequence of events early this week. Uh, apparently, Vice President Joe Biden received uh, a very scratchy phone call from Stan McChrystal in Afghanistan on Monday, saying that there was an article coming out in Rolling Stone that he might not like. And it must have been... A bit confusing for Biden, you know, perhaps he thought that Rolling Stone were doing an attack piece on the work of Creedence Clearwater Revival. No! The, no! They, yeah, no, exactly. What, on what grounds, John? That is why... It's solid, solid stuff. Exactly! That is why he must have thought McChrystal was warning him, saying, look, I just don't know if this is the issue for you, Joe. I mean, they've taken a deliberately contrary stance. Maybe, maybe uh, he was calling to say they'd given a very bad review to the latest Tracy Chapman album. One of his favourites, the VP. Because either of those would have surely have been more likely than what eventually materialised. If you haven't read the article, it really is worth your time. Rolling Stone managed to get the kind of access that hasn't been seen since the last time a journalist conscientiously and doggedly went about doing their job. <laughs> and the picture emerges of a detailed, if deeply flawed, General McChrystal, who seems to understandably hold some serious resentments regarding the White House, and none of that is particularly surprising or unreasonable. He was, after all, presiding over a war in Afghanistan, Andy, which for centuries has been one of the planet's shittiest and least rewarding jobs. <laughs> the problem is that it's become public. You know, everyone has frustrations regarding their job. For instance, someone who works in the box office of a movie theatre might be annoyed at customers talking on their mobile phones when ordering tickets. And they don't have the added annoyance, like Stanley McChrystal, of dealing with Afghan warlords as part of their everyday work. <laughs> oh, here's an interesting quote, see, from near the beginning of the article. Uh, it goes like this. Um, Since McChrystal took over a year ago, the Afghan war has become the exclusive property of the United States. <laughs> <coughs> Opposition yeah. to the war has already toppled the Dutch government, forced the resignation of Germany's president, and sparked both Canada and the Netherlands to announce the withdrawal of their 4,500 troops. <coughs> <laughs> McChrystal is in Paris to keep the French, who have lost more than 40 soldiers in Afghanistan, from going all wobbly on him. <coughs> 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 on behalf of Britain, can I tell you to f*** right off? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, that's but, a, and, that is a that is a glitch not only of journalism but of proofreading. Yeah, surely. Yeah, uh, unle unless I just now count Britain as the fifty-first state. Yeah, it is. I mean, sometimes it's offensive to tell someone to go f off, Andy, and sometimes it's enormously restrained. And <laughs> that f off was definitely in the latter category. Uh, it was. It's absolutely inexplicable how someone as disciplined as General McChrystal could have had a lapse of judgment on this kind of scale. But I will say there are moments in the article where you do really warm to him. Because, uh, as you say, it begins uh, with him complaining to an aide about having to go to dinner in Paris <laughs> with a French ambassador to sell him on the new Afghan war strategy. And this is the exact extract. <laughs> How did I get screwed into going to this dinner? The dinner comes with a position, sir, said his chief of staff, Colonel Charlie Flynn. McChrystal turns sharply in his chair. Hey, Charlie, he asks, does this come with the position? McChrystal gives him the middle finger. <laughs> come on! That kind of vignette is hard not to like. Anyone who will flip the bird with so much care and attention is fine by me. It's like hearing that during a meeting of the Joint Chiefs at the White House Situation Room, McChrystal stood up and said of Afghanistan, this is going to be long, hard, and if we're not careful, explosive, before pausing and saying, and that is also what she said. Boom! <laughs> boom! Boom, boom, boom! Actually, there was another bit soon after that in the article. The journalist writes, uh, I asked one of his aides, who's he going to dinner with? Some French minister, the aide tells me, it's f***ing gay. <laughs> now, flipping birds and calling things gay, the senior US military is basically being run by a bunch of teenage boys. Also, uh, one of uh, McChrystal's staff revealed that McChrystal hates going to fancy restaurants, rejecting any place with candles on the tables as, and I quote, too Gucci. And I love the fact that his, quali his qualifying factor for something being too Gucci, Andy, is candles on a table. <coughs> Which means that so much of life must be frustratingly Gucci for <coughs> Stanley McChrystal, including anywhere that's recently suffered a power cut. <laughs> like Kabul, for example. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I think it's had about a 200-year power cut. <laughs> well, well, actually, that was, actually, that was a misprint in that article, Gucci. Uh -huh. They spelled Gucci wrong. G-U-C-C-I. Oh. They actually meant yeah. G-O-O-C-H-I-E. As in Graham Gooch, the <laughs> 1980s and 90s English cricketer. <laughs> and interestingly, let's see, the, uh, an aide in this article also described the National Security uh, uh, Advisor uh, Jim Jones as a clown who remained stuck in 1985. And this is because he thinks that Graham Gooch should still be opening the bathroom <laughs> for England. <laughs> so it all ties in together. The main problem came uh, from moments in the article where an advisor to McChrystal, uh, speaking about uh, uh, McChrystal's first meeting with Obama after Obama offered him the job, said things like, it was a ten-minute photo op. Obama clearly didn't know anything about him, who he was. Here's the guy who's going to run his f***ing war, but he didn't seem very engaged. The boss was pretty disappointed. Now, I mean, saying that, Andy, is like saying, Secretary of the Interior Ken Salazar has a head shaped like a bruised eggplant. <laughs> it might be true, but it's not a good idea to say it out loud. <laughs> Aside from everything else, though, uh, the journalist did make a great point about uh, the scale of McChrystal's job, saying that when it comes to Afghanistan, history is not on McChrystal's side. The only foreign invader to have any success here was Genghis Khan, and he wasn't hampered by things like human rights, economic development and press scrutiny. <laughs> And that is true, Andy, the more you think about it. Genghis Khan wouldn't last five seconds in the modern world before being hauled up in front of a court in The Hague. He was lucky to be conducting wars when he did. He could not hold a candle to today's despots. Much, much, much more difficult conditions they're fighting under. But after 
After some deliberation and uh, after a meeting with McChrystal that apparently lasted 20 minutes, Obama dismissed him and uh, replaced him with General David Petraeus, the architect of the Iraq war turnaround and who is now once again going to have to take on an extremely troubled war effort. And that's what he's great at, Andy. He doesn't see, like everyone else, Afghanistan as a dilapidated old war that's falling apart. He sees it as a fixer-upper. <laughs> For him, any abandoned war is a great opportunity. He should be given his own History Channel reality show called Flip This War. He's <laughs> like an estate agent. Yeah. He's got a lot of potential, this war. Exactly. Uh, Obama stated that this is, and also, Andy, location, location, location. <laughs> that's what it's all about. That's Obama, certainly true. Obama stated that... Uh, <laughs> This is a change in personnel, but it is not a change in policy. Apparently, the White House said that the president delivered exactly the same message in a phone call to Afghan President Hamid Karzai, and that Karzai told Obama that he would work towards a smooth transition. I'm guessing that what happened immediately after that was that Karzai then cupped his hand over the mouthpiece of the phone and said, Shh! Shh! To the heroin warlords who were in the room with him. <laughs> he can hear you! I'm on the f***ing phone! <laughs> Here's an interesting thing, John in terms of the scale of jobs. Uh, Hamid Karzai's monthly salary... Right. $525. That is $6,300 a year. Wow. Assuming he does a five-day week working nine to five, which I think for that money is probably the most we can expect, <laughs> that works out at just under $3 an hour for running the world's most difficult country. <laughs> that is less than I used to get paid for ineptly serving beer at the High Rocks in Tunbridge Wells in 1992. <laughs> Crazy world we live in, John. Apparently the White House is claiming to be unconcerned by reports that David Petraeus... <laughs> has given a warts and all interview with teen magazine 17. <laughs> the White House Chief of Staff Rahm Emanuel said um, at a hastily arranged press conference, General Petraeus gave this interview before he was appointed commander of the US forces in Afghanistan. Besides the subjects covered were mostly his favorite pop stars, his fashion tips for how, look, how to look super cool this summer, and his advice to teenagers on how to kiss really well. <laughs> he only addresses issues of military, military strategy in superficial detail. The White House also played down reports that in the interview, General Petraeus had claimed that he, quotes, quite fancies Michelle Obama. <laughs> he recently, an angrily naked uh, Emmanuel, penis in trousers for a nice change, said, that's neither here nor there. Mrs Obama was just one name in a very, very, very long list. <laughs> Besides, both the President and the First Lady are kind of flattered. Obama is thought to believe that General Petraeus' hypothetical hankering for his wife will not affect his operational effectiveness in the field of battle. A source quoted Mr Obama as saying, he spent most of his time in Iraq banging on about Maggie Gyllenhaal, and that worked out okay. Maybe he'll try to impress Michelle by doing a really great job in Afghanistan, so the whole country will benefit. But still, hands off my bird. <laughs> Petraeus, the 58-year-old, much-decorated four-star general with three and a half decades of military experience behind him, also said that if anyone can get him a couple of front-row tickets to one of Justin Bieber's current tour dates for him and his CENTCOM deputy commander, Lieutenant General John R. Allen, he will, quotes, let them have a go in a stealth bomber. Petraeus, <laughs> Petraeus concluded the interview by advising teenage girls to be themselves, to dress yes. how they want to dress, not right. how boys want them to dress. Very wise. Because, quotes, honesty is just as important in relationships as it is when reconstructing a war-shattered nation like Iraq. <laughs> He also stated that he thought this would be, quotes, a big summer for floral skirts, and that people should never be afraid to talk to their parents about difficult issues such as puberty, sex, and how to direct and manage a successful counterinsurgency against an implacable extremist foe. Three important rules for breaking up. Don't put off breaking up when you know you want to. 
prolonging the situation only makes it worse. Tell him honestly, simply, kindly, but firmly. Don't make a big production. Don't make up an elaborate story. This will help you avoid a big tear-jerking scene. If you want to date other people, say so. Be prepared for the boy to feel hurt and rejected. Even if you've gone together for only a short time and haven't been too serious, there's still a feeling of rejection when someone says she prefers a company of others to your exclusive company. But if you're honest and direct and avoid making a flowery emotional speech when you break the news, the boy will respect you for your frankness and honestly, he'll appreciate the kind, straightforward manner in which you told him your decision. Unless he's a real jerk or a crybaby, he'll remain friends. Today I accepted General Stanley McChrystal's resignation as commander of the International Security Assistance Force in Afghanistan. In case you by some miracle missed this development, the head of military operations in Afghanistan, General Stanley McChrystal, resigned this week over insubordinate remarks made by himself and his staff about the president, the vice president, and others recounted by freelance reporter Michael Hastings in Rolling Stone magazine. In an interview with WNYC's and PRI's The Takeaway, he explained why he reported what others did not. In the past, the general had given pretty good access to a number of journalists, and I believe those journalists were interested in being sort of a flattering profile of the general, uh, which assures you more access in the future. I understand that. Uh, but it's not something I'm interested in doing. As a freelancer, Hastings isn't bound by the same unofficial rules that beat reporters often live by. Jamie McIntyre was a beat reporter, the senior Pentagon correspondent for CNN for 16 years. This is his theory of why such lofty military officials would speak so candidly in front of a reporter. They got very comfortable with Michael Hastings and believed that he would probably follow the convention of many beat reporters and not report some of the hijinks that go on behind the scenes. Let me ask you now to describe the difference in the dynamics between a beat reporter on the defense beat or any other and someone who parachutes in for one story. Well, the difference is the uh, sort of one-off reporter doesn't need to worry about whether he's going to get future access or not. Whereas the beat reporters, like when I was at CNN, I needed access. I needed to be able to get to the key people to find out what was going on when bombs were dropping or things were happening. And the way you do that is you forego reporting all of the sort of off-color jokes or informal banter that goes on when you follow these guys around, focus on the big picture, and they begin to trust you. As a result, when you need to know what's going on, you get access. If you do what Michael Hastings does, they're never going to talk to him again. Of course, he, he doesn't care. The fallout from that, though, is that they may also not talk to a lot of other reporters as well. Not reporting the off-color jokes, the intemperate comments, and so forth. You called that the dirty little secret of beat reporting. You know, it implies this sort of overly cozy relationship. These military officials that we're following around, they're not our friends. We're frenemies. We're not friends. You know, one thing we've learned from this whole episode is that military officers cannot tell you what they're really thinking without being in peril of losing their jobs. So the dirty little secret is, yeah, we sort of informally agree not to report a lot of things that we see and hear, 
some of it for legitimate security reasons and some of it because it could just be embarrassing. And the trade-off is we get a continued relationship with these people and we can get information. And by the way, it is information that we can still hold them accountable for. It's just that we sort of cover them. Can you give me any kind of concrete example about a story that you may have let go for the sake of ongoing good relations with your uh, subjects? There's been a lot of things that have happened on Rumsfeld's plane when I was traveling with him that would be great stories. I actually think a lot of them provide some real insight into Rumsfeld, the man, and how he operated during the time he was defense secretary. But the agreement is that stuff on the plane is is off the record. All right, Jamie. No, I can tell you that there will be comments beneath this interview on our website that say Jamie McIntyre has rationalized the ongoing of a sleazy dynamic between defense reporters and the people they're covering. He's drunk the Kool-Aid. He's breathing his own fumes. I want you to tell me a concrete example of how suppressing some colorful little background can yield some very serious reporting later. The last time I was in Afghanistan, I traveled with then-NATO commander Jim Jones, who's now the National Security Advisor. I followed him all around. In fact, he even took me into some extremely high-level meetings under the condition that I could observe, but it was off the record. And that kind of access, where I got to see you know, what really goes on behind these doors where the reporters are usually left outside, was extremely valuable to me in calibrating my reporting. You know, none of these uh, generals, the smart ones, they don't want a free ride. They just want to know that they're going to get a fair shake. And I think the ultimate measure is you have to go back and look at the reporting and see how it holds up over time. And if you look at the reporting and you decide, you know what, Jamie McIntyre missed it. He didn't get it right, and it may have been because he was too close to his sources, then you can make that judgment. I have to ask you if the fair shake that you're talking about for you would have extended to not reporting this pretty clear-cut case of insubordination that General McChrystal and his aides displayed. Well, I have to say, I think Michael Hastings did exactly the right thing. Part of the Uniform Code of Military Justice bars contemptuous remarks by military officers about their commander-in-chief. So if I witnessed a military officer violating the military law on this subject, I think I would be bound to report that. But if I asked the general, what do you think about the president's policy? And he said, can we go off the record? I would know that if I don't go off the record, I'm not going to hear what he really thinks. And I might be willing to do that to find out whether the generals really believe in what they're doing. I want to come back to the ultimate consequences of the uh, Hastings story on McChrystal. Is this going to make it very tough on beat reporters and freelancers from this point forward? I think you're going to see a sort of a freeze out for at least a short period of time. Don't forget, it was just in 2008 that Admiral Fallon was forced out because of remarks that he made in Esquire magazine. You would have thought after that, people would have been very gun shy. But the fact of the matter is, it'll go back to the way it worked before, which is it's all based on on trust and relationships. It's a two-way street.
big story here. General Stanley McChrystal received his honorable yet somewhat oily discharge from his command of the United States war effort in Afghanistan, all because of one month-long error in judgment, where he seemingly moved in with a dirty Rolling Stone hippie. The article quoted McChrystal and his aides, among other things, describing various administration officials as clowns and annoyances. The president himself is disengaged in the war and in over his head, and even called Bo the White House dog, quote, one of them hypoallergenic, four-legged gay wads of a pet. Not cool! <laughs> now, as you can imagine, the story raised a lot of questions for our country's finest reporters. Does Rolling Stone uh, magazine usually get this kind of access? A lot of people wondering, though, how you got such remarkable access to the general and to his staff. It was crazy this guy had that much access. I mean, it wasn't as if you had spent months with them kind of gaining their trust. This incredible wall-to-wall -wall access. You were almost brought into the inner circle. What on earth was he thinking giving an interview to Rolling Stone? Approximately 11.04 Eastern Standard Time, the American news media finally realized they kind of suck. <laughs> Maybe it wasn't such a big story anyway. People talk big all the time. I got kids, you got kids. You know, when, when, when my teenage sons have a party down in the basement and they invite their buddies and sometimes, you know, they'll, you know, say and do things that make me like, uh, come on guys, enough is enough. All right, two things, two things. One, Sanchez has a basement? <laughs> a finished basement? Somebody's doing pretty well for herself. Good for you, Spider, good for you. And number two, I'm not sure the unfiltered over-the-top musings of the commanding general undermining the now nine-year mission in Afghanistan is quite analogous to your kids hanging out in the basement lighting farts. <laughs> what? I've been to school parties. But the real shock to the reporters was what this Rolling Stone journalist would be giving up. You obviously were not worried about access in the future. I can't imagine you're going to get it. Yeah, I don't need it anymore. <laughs> I got this amazing story. <laughs> but this wasn't about the media, it was about the president. And one reporter had the perspective to see that. To me, this is what being president of the United States is all about. It's these tough, huge, monumental decisions. It's not about how you run a campaign. It's not about whether or not you're popular. It's not about whether or not you're a celebrity or you're good looking or tall or short. It's in a time of crisis, making these executive decisions. It's just like our job. You know, I, I haven't done this in a while. P -p play that again. Making these executive decisions. It's just like our job. <laughs> what? 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 The President of the United States having to fire the commanding general of an ongoing international conflict reminds you of being, for a couple of hours a day, the smart lady meat in a doofus sandwich? <laughs> Now this is, maybe this is my failing. I never saw you as akin to the President of the United States. Not that you don't do a fine morning program. Particularly the Hooters Let Freedom Wing segments. This is um, the More Than a Mouthful Monday Platter and it's $5.99 and you get a burger and fries. And this is all available out at Hooters. And nothing spells freedom like uh, a Hooters meal. Yes, and uh, 
Reminds me of when they opened a Hooters franchise at Iwo Jima. I, uh... <laughs> so that was fun. I wonder if she's going to keep going with this thing. It's just like our job. I mean, from a day-to-day -day basis, a lot of times when there's not big breaking news, we just sort of roll along. But what's the role of an anchor during huge breaking news? You remember growing up? You tune to the television, and that one moment during the year, they would have to carry a story all along. It's the same thing as being the president of the United States. Well, but, well there is one key difference. Term limits. I love hearing from listeners who write in to tell me about how this show positively impacts their lives. It reinforces the idea that what I'm doing really may be making a little bit of a difference. What I love even more is that it's the support of the listeners themselves which makes this show possible. If you appreciate the service this show provides, you can make individual donations or become a member and donate $5 a month or even save a couple of bucks by paying for a year in advance. Member support gives me the time it takes to produce 10 shows per month, and in return, members receive access to bonus audio and video content through members-only raw feeds. For details or to sign up, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Thanks so much for your support. According to The Independent, on Sunday, Stanley McChrystal issued a devastatingly critical assessment of the Afghanistan war against a resilient and growing insurgency, quotes, just days before being forced out. Using confidential military documents, copies of which have been seen by the Independent on Sunday, the general briefed defense ministers from NATO and the coalition earlier this month and warned them not to expect any progress in the next six months. During his presentation, he raised serious concerns over levels of security, violence, and corruption within the Afghan administration. The campaign overview left behind by General McChrystal warned that only a fraction of the areas key to long-term success are secure, governed with full authority, or enjoy sustainable growth. He warned of a critical shortage of essential military trainers needed to build up Afghan forces, of which only a fraction are classified as effective. He pinpointed an ineffective or discredited Afghan government and a failure by Pakistan to curb insurgent support as critical risks to success. Waning political support and a divergence of coalition expectations and campaign timelines are key challenges faced, according to the general. Interesting that all the conversation on the Sunday Yak shows about the future of Afghanistan and under General Petraeus didn't happen to mention that... Uh, closing summary of the scene by General McChrystal on his way out. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? News from outside the bubble, ladies and gentlemen, copyrighted feature of this broadcast. What was it like inside that office at the White House when General McChrystal met President Obama this week for 20 minutes? Very little reporting has come out, so you might as well make something up. The uh, President will see you now, sir. <laughs> Hello, General McCrystal. Mr. President, <laughs> have you been working out? My God, I run four miles a day. I thought I was fit. Well, <laughs> I have been able to play a few rounds of golf lately. And I, I don't want to alarm you, sir, but uh, isn't that Miss America walking through the hallway? Such charm, such poise. But does the Secret Service know about this? You know, you can never be too safe, sir, in this time. That of... was my wife. 
heading back to the east wing. Sit down, General. Uh, thank you, sir. But are you sure that wasn't Miss America? I mean, she had such youthful warmth, such... General, we're here to talk about you. Of course, sir. And uh, speaking just for myself, mm-hmm. I, I just have to say, I've never seen the Oval Office looking more perfectly oval. Bravo, sir. Well done. Thanks. Now, General, mm-hmm. there's this little matter of the interview in Rolling Stone. I'm sure you were tired after a long war. Yes, but there, well, these kinds of comments seem to represent an ingrained disrespect for the civilian part of your chain of command. That's a serious matter. Of course it would be, sir, but the, the staff and I thought it, it reflected the sort of camaraderie, the joie de guerre, if you will, of our relationship, as a matter of fact. Was it Dave Petraeus himself who said it? I can't remember. I've been so busy harvesting people. But someone said he thought it showed a sign of deep maturity that you could take that kind of good-natured ribbing and just keep on leading us into the future, General. a future bright with the promise of little children playing with butter. General, nobody thought it came across as good-natured ribbing. It was resentful. Dismiss it and contemptuous. Oh, I'm sure you're right, sir, and yet I, I can't help being reminded right now, sitting here with you mm-hmm. and and Miss America, I, I mean, uh, the First Lady, mm-hmm. of how resentful and dismissive and uh, what, 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 what was the other... Uh, contemptuous. Right. The, the ribbing that Abbott used to give to Costello, and yet I don't know about you, sir, but underneath it I always felt the deep respect that Bud had for... General, the media don't seem to view it as playful <laughs> or fun or reflecting any kind of respect. So let's... Take their word for it, shall we? Yes, sir, Mr. President, of course. Good. Sir, although I have to say, I always told my men, when the media were depicting you in the middle of the healthcare fight as weak and vacillating, I said, no, men, don't cave into the natural human tendency to believe what the media says. Mm-hmm. They're sensationalizing our strong, determined, resolute president what? just to sell papers and get ratings. But what? yes, sir, mm-hmm. I'll stand corrected on the media, sir. After all, it, it really is like the old uh, Smuckers thing, isn't it, sir? The Smuckers thing? Yes, sir. With a date like Wolf Blitzer, you have to tell the truth. All right, fine. So, now the question before us. What do I do about this situation? What action do I take? Now, on the one hand... Sir, if I may, I've uh, taken the liberty of outlining uh, several alternative courses of action you could choose from. These are just uh, some strategic possibilities my staff and I worked up over the weekend on the new iPad CENTCOM just said it, sir, uh-huh. which by the way, yes. I know sometimes military procurement can be a pain in the A-double snakes, but if we'd had the iPad at, at HQ seven years ago, we'd be out of Afghanistan long. All right, General, let's, uh, let's hear your suggested courses of action. Thank you, sir. And these aren't written in stone, of course, sir. Your people can tweet them and, you know, whatever Let's, let's just hear them, please. We, we just have 20 minutes. First, a complete and final banning of all reporters from the headquarters area of the war effort, which, which is totally impractical. Oh, I was just going to say exactly those words, sir, well, but I out, was outquicked out, by my commander-in-chief. But a, a complete and final ban on all reporters from Rolling Stone, sir. Now you've really put your finger on the problem and you've squashed it like so many unfortunate civilians, sir. General, yes, Rolling sir. Stone has done their hit piece. They're not coming back. Yes, sir. What else? And, and, well, you could put me on, and I, I hesitate to say these words, sir, because you know how single-mindedly I'm dedicated to war fighting, mm-hmm, sir, but mm-hmm. you could put me on temporary leave, send me to Pearl Harbor or uh, CENTCOM headquarters in Tampa, totally out of the action, totally removed from Some the... Someplace quiet and sunny. Sir, is that what you think? You think my staff and I are suggesting you give me a paid vacation on the backs of the hard-working Americans who play by the rules? All right, sir, you're right. I agree. Send me off for two weeks in Nome. Why didn't I think of that? What's the matter with me? 
bad general. Bad general. General, we're not sending you off to Nome. Yes, sir. I agree. Too soft. Catch again, sir? I could build it there with an old army buddy, Doug Dimmeldorf. Well, uh, Runs a salmon boning facility up there, sir. Very smart. Really do me good. Might uh, teach me a lesson, sir. You're not going to build it with Doug Dimmeldorf, General. No, sir. You're going to be removed from your post. I... It would be an unmistakable signal of weakness on my part to leave you in charge. We know that. The polls tell us that. Yes, sir. I'm sure the men can carry on without me. Mm-hmm. Best thing for them, really. Mm-hmm. To try to conduct a sophisticated counterinsurgency operation on their own. Because really, you know, at some point you really do have to take the training wheels off the bicycle, don't you, sir? You know, let the kids take a crack at it. What do we have to lose, really? And you'll be replaced by General Petraeus. Dave! Mm-hmm. Good choice, sir. Get him back in the field before he gets any more cobwebs on that desk job, sir. Of course, he'll need me for a few months to get him up to... General, you're dismissed from your post as of now. That is all. Yes, sir. Spoken like a true commander, sir. I give you that. All right, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you for your service. Oh, sir, it was my pleasure to kill myself for my country just to be thrown away like an old snot rag, sir. Oh, look! Miss America is still there, sir. Maybe you should ask her what she would buy, though. Michael Hastings, the Rolling Stone reporter who did the story on McChrystal, was interviewed by Marcus Barham at the Huffington Post, and he had some very interesting quotes. First, he said that the U.S. troops that he's been talking to have actually been very happy that McChrystal got fired. I'm not that surprised by that, but let me give you the quote first. He says, over here, soldiers were happy that he got fired. I've had a number of people come up to me. I got an email from a Marine this morning. Hey, man, you did great work. All the guys in my company think it's good McChrystal's not there because he was putting our lives at risk. Now, why do they think that? Because McChrystal had the strategy of uh, courageous restraint, where he was saying, hey, look, let's be more careful about firing upon uh, the Afghans because we don't know who the civilians are and who the insurgents are. And, of course, that is good for counterinsurgency, but does entail a little bit more risk for the troops. So they didn't like that. So they, a lot of them are happy that McChrystal got removed, but w- that doesn't mean we should necessarily be happy about it, because I think his counterinsurgency method was probably the more uh, correct one, if you ask me. Uh, they asked Hastings about uh, the other press reacting to his story. They said, in the hyper-competitive media world, some of the reaction to your story has been a little negative, that you have hostile views, quote-unquote, and that you're anti-war. Some have wondered uh, how you could jeopardize your future access to sources. How do you respond to that? Hastings responds, look, I went into journalism to do journalism, not advertising. I love this guy. Uh, My views are critical, but that shouldn't be mistaken for hostile. I'm just not a stenographer. Oh, I love this guy. Uh, There's a body of work that shows how I viewed these issues, 
but that was hard earned through experience, not something I learned going to a cocktail party on fucking K Street. That's what reporters are supposed to do, report the story. Who doesn't love this guy? In fact, I'm going here, over here. This is Sparta! And they said, oh, you're in the middle of Kandahar and you're doing more stories. Uh, well, what do you think you're going to do tonight? And he said, tonight we die in hell! Okay, Michael, okay, I got you, I got you, man. You're a little excited about it. Alright, that's Michael Hastings uh, all of a sudden shooting up to one of my top five reporters in the country. for you. What's covered in heroin and sitting on a pile of gold? No, not Amy Winehouse. Well, not just Amy Winehouse. I'll ask those three dudes. What's the answer? Afghanistan! The country of Afghanistan! Reports now of potential newfound wealth for Afghanistan, a previously unknown yet massive amount of mineral deposits. The mother load of iron, copper, cobalt, and gold could top out at nearly a trillion dollars. Awesome! Congratulations, Afghanistan! You're rich! <laughs> You've got tons and tons of incredibly valuable natural resources buried Beneath your surface, you will never not know war. <laughs> interestingly, interestingly, this news seems to be based on a two and a half year old geological survey, which raises the question, why are we hearing about this now? The war in Afghanistan is officially now the longest war in the history of the United States. And we can't leave now. <laughs> now that we know there's gold. There's gold underneath Afghanistan's rough exterior. It's like Afghanistan is a war-torn Susan Boyle. My dream, the dream in time gone by. I know she doesn't look it when you look at her, but inside, she's gold. Just like Susan Boyle, if we don't sign her to a record label, someone else will. You have this country that is in the middle of a huge war, but there's money to be found there. So who is going to now suddenly want to take over Afghanistan? What about the Taliban? What about China? Sure, because China is not too far away, and it's a great big uh, country that it needs a whole bunch of stuff. Excellent analysis, my friend. <laughs> China is indeed a great big country that could use a whole bunch of stuff. <laughs> Steve Ducey reporting the news in the manner that would get a third grade student a D on a report. 
Of course, it's not like we as Americans have any designs on the Afghan people's natural resources. They could be transformed into the mining center of the world. Amazing. So there you go. All right, now they can pay for the war, perhaps. Yes, Brian. Perhaps now the Afghan people will pay some sort of price for the war. You hear that, Afghan people? The free ride to Rubble Town is over. Look, if I may address the citizens of Afghanistan directly. Citizens of Afghanistan. You know those stories about poor people whose lives are difficult, and then they hit the lottery, and for some reason their lives really turned <laughs> That's you. <laughs> you think your country's war-torn now? This is what it's like when we don't want what's underneath you. <laughs> Up till now, we're just motivated by revenge, but greed? That is a whole new ballpark, my friend. <laughs> We slaughtered thousands of Navi and blew up the big tree just to get our hands on unobtainium. That's a metal that doesn't even exist. The only difference between you and those guys is you don't have some crazy unpronounceable metal. At least a trillion dollars worth of stuff over there, including iron, copper, cobalt, uh, gold, and lithium. And also something that I'm unfamiliar with, but it's called Nibo. No, obium is a soft metal used in producing superconducting steel. You guys are <laughs> You know what, Afghanistan? You, sh you should move. <laughs> I hear Pandora is lovely this time of year. All right, very good. Here is your next quote. If you thought that place was only profitable for opium wholesalers and the <laughs> defense industry, think again. Okay, Jerusha, that was the blog One Cat expressing their excitement about the news that a trillion dollars worth of precious metals were discovered where? In Afghanistan? Right. Now they're in trouble. <laughs> According to the New York Times, Afghanistan has untold wealth in minerals and rare metals like lithium, which is valuable for making cell phones and other gadgets. Some say this story is part of a new propaganda campaign from the administration. Hey, America, don't think of Afghanistan as a terrible quagmire. Think of it as one huge battery for your iPhone. <laughs> we win the war, you'll never drop a call again. But this is, I don't know if this is good news, because if you think having our country invade you and topple your leadership and engage in a decade-long counterinsurgency campaign is bad, see what happens when you actually have something we want. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to change the, the protesters here, because you'll see a bunch of signs that say, no war for magnesium, no blood for lithium. There's a whole list of crazy things. There's like, there's molybdenum. In the Malibdenum. ground. Oh, yeah. Malibdenum. Work that into a chance yeah. of Lafayette Square, yeah. you know? Yeah. <laughs> come on, come on and meet the elements.
compounds when they combine Or make up a simple element Formed out of atoms of the one kind Come on, come on and meet the elements Check out the ones that call the elements You may already know yesterday President Obama sacked Afghanistan Commander Stanley McChrystal over biting comments the general made about the president and his team to Rolling Stone magazine. It was such a scoop, they had to bump their regular monthly column on John Fogarty's comeback. <laughs> In his place, Obama has appointed General David Petraeus. Now, technically, this will be a demotion for Petraeus, whose present job, I believe, is king of pop. <laughs> Someone had to step up last summer. Now, I believe in General Petraeus, but he has got something to learn about fighting the Afghan war from General McChrystal. And that brings us to tonight's word. <laughs> Who wore it best? Now, the first thing we learned from Vietnam is that you can't win a war without public support. But when something goes on and on forever, public interest wanes, with the exception of Betty White. And even though this month was the bloodiest in this nine-year war, according to the Project for Excellence in Journalism, coverage of the war filled only 2.8% of the overall news hole. The news hole is what we insiders call the total available news time. It's also what John Stossel's employees call him behind his back. <laughs> now, there is so little demand for Afghan coverage out there that CBS war correspondent Lara Logan is on maternity leave and the network isn't even hiring a replacement. I think they should just pick up another hot blonde from the secret island where Fox News breeds them. <laughs> but that... That American disinterest changed when Rolling Stone dished all the behind-the-scenes dirt on McChrystal and his senior staff's late-night Paris bitch-fests. And suddenly, suddenly, America's interest in Afghanistan was ping, ping. Now, in fact, in fact, on Tuesday's list of Google's hottest search terms, General McChrystal beat out Jake and Vienna break up. That's right. The Afghan war is finally more important to Americans than season 14 of The Bachelor. So, General Petraeus, you've got to keep their interest. I suggest you locate your headquarters in a cave-side mansion filled with cameras, 10 bachelorettes, and your second-in-command, Lieutenant Colonel, The Situation. <laughs> yes. Whose chest, whose chest you use as a dry erase board. <laughs> and every week, you must eliminate one warlord by giving him this rose. <laughs> and... Instead, instead of public hearings, report to Congress like this. Oh, the Taliban are such jagoffs. We keep giving them money for safe passage, and they're so mean to us, whatever. I'm not here to make friends, I'm here to win. And I'm a winner. I just have to stay confident and just know for myself 
that I'm here for the right reasons. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm ready to take your questions now. And if that doesn't get their attention, why don't... Try a nip slip or expose your news hole because something has got to keep us interested and evidently the sacrifice of our troops isn't enough. Thanks for listening, everyone. So I, I got a couple of things I wanted to add to today's topic. Now, of course, you know, my position on the war is that we just shouldn't really be fighting it in the first place. It's going so badly. It's the longest war. And, uh, you know, so the, the issue of a change in commander in the war is, you know, it's an inter- interesting thing that's happened, but it's slightly less relevant than the discussion about whether we should be at war or not at all. So along those lines, I want to pass on to you a couple of really interesting things I heard in a segment that it, you know, wasn't clip worthy, I guess, you know, it, it, it didn't end up in the show and, and won't be in the show, but uh, Jonathan Kim is a movie reviewer and I heard him uh, doing a movie review on a movie uh, related to, uh, you know, wars in the Middle East and, and I think Afghanistan in particular, and he had a couple of really interesting things to say. Uh, one of which was, you know, fighting the Taliban in uh, in Afghanistan is a little bit like a foreign power uh, coming into our country to fight uh, evangelical Christians. And, you know, the comparison is that, you know, the, the, from his position, the way he was speaking, he's like, look, you know, I'm not really a big fan of evangelicals. If they were in charge, that would be a pretty big problem for me. Uh, you know, I don't subscribe to anything they believe in, but, uh, you know, like I have family members who are evangelicals and, you know, they're still my countrymen. And, and so it, it makes it a little bit more complicated than, uh, you know, to, when you look at it that way to realize that people inside that country, you know, they may disagree with the Taliban they you know, they may have mixed feelings, but there are more complicated ties uh, that, that come into play. So I just found that to be a, a really interesting point. And then secondly, he said something else that, that I thought was interesting um, that I haven't independently verified myself, but he says there's a saying in that part of the world. He says you know, that, that the saying is, you in the West, you may have the watches, but we have the time, <laughs> which of course means that no one has been able to go into that uh, area of the world and fight a war forever until they won. The people who live there just will keep going and keep staying until the invaders give up. That's just, that has been the history and will continue to be the history. So there you go. I I promised a couple of points I wanted to add. I think I delivered on that pretty solidly. Uh, So that's going to be it for me today. I want to thank a couple of members before I go and say uh, thank you very much to Kristen M., who signed up for a monthly membership just back on uh, April 6th and has been sticking with the show since then, and uh, and David B., who signed up for a full-year membership starting this month, June 5th. 
And I want to mention and thank him for going above and beyond the standard membership level just to help out the show a little bit more. Huge thanks to both of those members. You guys make the show possible. Uh, them and every member and donor who's ever uh, chipped in to support the show makes the show what it is today. So that's going to do it. Please continue to tell all your friends and neighbors about the show. It makes a huge difference just spreading the word like that. To stay connected to the show between episodes, find us on Facebook and Twitter. For details on the show, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode, all those details are always written in the show notes on the blog. So, coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you ten times a month now, thanks entirely to the support of members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. Fine, fine, black and white, Apart a picture that wasn't right Pitch burning on a shining sheet The only maker that you want to be A dying man in a living room Whose shadow bases the floor Who take you out in the open door This is not my life It's just a fond farewell to a friend Hi there, it's Mike. Here's another unsolicited moment for the podcast listeners. Some things have changed since I sent my first message to Jay. The main change? More podcasts. Ten a month. And there's the iPod apps, the bonus clips divided into different categories for the subscribers. And now Jay has made this podcast his full-time job. Plus, Jay won the Best Produced Podcast of the Year Award. By using the Amazon link on the Best of the Left podcast site, you can contribute with every purchase you make at reduced prices on just about every At Amazon, you can buy music, downloads, furnish your apartments, fill up your cupboards with linens, food, computer supplies, appliances, and on and on and on. Not just the Amazon DVDs and books. In fact, it's hard to name anything that you can't buy at Amazon. And you're contributing at the same time without paying a penny more. Now, my Social Security retirement check doesn't allow for much shopping, but I still manage to make sure Jay has my $5 subscription month after month. It's great to know that even on a meager income, I'm making a big difference in our world, keeping the Best of the Left podcast going and growing and ensuring progressive concepts are introduced, heard, and passed on. I'm proud to be a part of that, and you will be too. Do your part. Do what you can. Thanks.